This week on God's Favor, have you ever thought about changing your family's destiny? It might take you standing up and saying, no more. Gary Wilkerson is the author of God's Favor. Gary is also the president of World Challenge and the host of the Gary Wilkerson podcast. You can find them at worldchallenge.org. God's Favor is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. These podcasts are made possible only through generous donors like you. You can donate on our website, worldchallenge.org. And now, here's Chapter 5, Your Family's Greatest Season, read by Jason Staples. How do we change our family's destiny? Especially when those who came before us had a rocky history. Maybe your family has been broken by generations of dysfunction. Maybe it's been riven by strife, separation, addictions, or abuse. If that's the case, you've probably wondered, what can one person possibly do to turn all this around? What does it take to change things? Or maybe that isn't your family's history at all. Maybe your loved one's story is a good one. You might have had a lot of ups and downs, but for the most part, you see your family is blessed. If that's the case, then let me ask you a different question. How do you turn a good family into a great one? How do you ensure your family continues to stand as a living testimony to God's goodness in spite of the difficulties you face? How you pursue these questions has everything to do with entering the fullness of God's favor. Your response to your family dynamic is important to how God shapes your family's destiny. My father grew up in a Christian home that was very legalistic. The strain of Christianity his family took part in didn't allow people to have washing machines because it was thought to lead to laziness and sloth. Skirts had to fall to the ankle and makeup was forbidden. Sports events were also off-limits because they were considered worldly, not of eternal value. Part of what informed this hyper-religious dynamic was the fear of a severely punitive God. If you sinned, you could be sure the Lord would find you out, expose you, and punish you with awful consequences. With that sort of image of God... It was hard for a kid like my dad or his siblings to live with any sense of freedom. Sadly, they continually looked over their shoulders and wondered if something they were doing might be offending the Lord. One day, when my dad was in elementary school, he came home to an empty house. He looked into his pastor father's study and saw his dad's clothes draped over the chair and his shoes on the floor. Then he went into his parents' bedroom and saw a dress and stockings lying across the bed. He went upstairs to his siblings' rooms, all empty too. Why was everyone suddenly gone? Pondering it, my father panicked. He thought his family had been raptured by Jesus, and he was left behind. He ran screaming through the house, scared out of his mind. That brought his parents running to him from wherever they'd been, asking what was wrong. When he explained, his parents didn't offer comfort. Instead, they used the moment as a lesson. Think about what you just felt, David. That's what will happen to you if you don't live for the Lord. My grandparents had good intentions, but they didn't recognize their need to break a crippling generational fear. Above everything else, my father and his siblings needed to know the father's love for them beyond any fear that could be instilled in them. Instead, the family dynamic continued to revolve around a legalistic fear, and it caused different reactions in my father's siblings. Dad himself desperately sought to please his father. I've already mentioned his middle brother Jerry struggling with alcoholism for a long period. Their oldest sister vacillated between agnosticism and atheism for decades. All of this happened despite the fact that they were descended from a long line of ministry families that went back generations. 
My dad's father was a denominational leader over his region, and his father's father had been a well-known evangelist within the denomination. My dad had great respect for his predecessors and was proud of the legacy passed down to him. He eagerly accepted the high calling he felt to continue that heritage. Yet dad knew there was something fundamentally wrong in his family's dynamic. He knew things had to change. So when he became a young pastor, he determined to free the people in his congregation from any legalistic heaviness, and he worked to be free of it himself. I see now this became a lifelong pursuit for my father. It took him years and was a gradual process. Finally, in his 60s, he discovered the teaching of the New Covenant. He learned about Christ's full, complete accomplishments for our salvation and the Holy Spirit's ability to keep us. Yet even then, he struggled against the legalistic impulses that were embedded in him through his family's influence. But God's grace won out. Speaking for my own family, my children and grandchildren, I couldn't be more grateful to my dad for the stand he took. He spent a lifetime wrestling with the vestiges of legalism in his own heart. And although his struggle affected my siblings and me somewhat, we grew up learning more about God's loving grace than about fear and performance. In short, Dad drew a line in the sand saying, Things change now with my family and me. And from that moment on, generations would see the benefit. Your family's greatest season begins when one person takes a stand and says, No more. Things change starting today. We see this biblical truth demonstrated in Jacob's family. Jacob had his own struggles with deceit in his early years, but that part of his character was redeemed by the Lord. Then, as his children grew, a terrible heritage began with Jacob's son Levi. Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped, and Levi and several of his brothers were enraged by the crime. They sought revenge, raiding the village where the rapists lived, and they slaughtered all the men there. When Jacob heard about this, he was furious at his offending sons. Genesis 34.30 says, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. Evidently, Levi never departed from his violent ways, despite his father's displeasure. The stain on Levi's household lasted even to his father's deathbed. As Jacob said a final goodbye to each of his children, he blessed all of them except for Levi. Instead, he passed on a kind of curse to Levi's family, saying, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Genesis 49, 5-7 for centuries after this, the tribe of Levi isn't mentioned much in Scripture. It's likely the violent dynamic of the father got passed down through the generations. That's not hard for me to imagine. I think of how easily legalism was passed down in my family from generation to generation, acting as a kind of curse on the emotional and spiritual makeup of Wilkerson's. That is, until my dad took a stand. In the Levites' case, the day came when things changed for them. They took a stand that finally broke their family's odious legacy. Because of that critical decision, the family entered into a great blessing that lasted down through every generation. It happened after Moses descended from the mountain where he met with the Lord. When he arrived at camp, he found the Israelites partying around the golden calf they'd made. 
he demanded, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Exodus 32.26 That last verse may seem quiet on the page, but if you know the Levites' history to that point, you realize what a powerful move it was for them. With one resolute decision, centuries of sordid Levite history began to change. Moses recognized it and said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Genesis 32.29 Think about Moses' statement here. The Levites ordained for themselves a breakthrough and a blessing, all by stepping out and saying, Change starts right here, right now. And what a turnaround it was. They became the priestly tribe of Israel, performing the rites associated with God's holiness. God can do the same in your family. He did it in mine, and it has made all the difference. All it takes is one stand, and things can be transformed forever. If you're from a broken family, you may fear the heritage passed down to you, wondering, will my marriage and kids manage to avoid being fractured the way my family of origin was? As you look back over your family history, maybe you feel there's no way to break traits that seem like an inherited curse. It might be a tendency toward addiction. It might be anger or contentiousness. Or it might simply be a negative attitude or a cloud of fear about life in general. I want to tell you about an amazing turnaround that birthed one of the most vibrant families in our church. Kelly and I adore this couple with their three wonderful children. The wife is active in our church in so many ways, and her husband is equally dynamic. I've rarely met anyone as energetic and full of joy. Yet if you knew this couple's history, you would never guess they would have the blessed family they do today. We knew them for a while before we found out that the husband had one of the hardest family histories we'd ever heard of. His mother suffered severe mental difficulties, was constantly paranoid, and threw wild fits of rage. She aimed a lot of anger at her son, demeaning him and telling him he was worthless and hated. She once locked him in a closet and left him there all day long. The boy's father owned a bar, and on most nights he came home drunk. He went into alcoholic rages and would strike his vulnerable little boy. What a horrible home environment for any child. I can't imagine the untold damage all this did to our friend's tender young spirit. Then at age 15, this boy encountered Jesus. His parents didn't allow him to attend church, but he decided to go anyway. He often paid a price for that decision, but he had no regrets as he grew in his knowledge of his Heavenly Father's love for him, and so his long road to healing began. Later, he met a wonderful woman, a hard-working, devoted lady who was employed by a large ministry. They got married, and this man grew healthier and healthier, then they began having children, and that brought more and more joy to the family they were making. As I look at our friend today, I'm amazed. His is so powerful a transformation that only God could have performed it. He is a living testimony of what the Lord can do for even the most damaged soul, that of a child with no advocate, no adult to care for him, just the healing love of God. There was a time in his young life when every force conspired to drag him into permanent despair. But he stood up and said, No, I've placed my hope in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. The rest is history. The blessed breakthrough didn't stop with him. The stand he took years ago has determined the direction of his family. 
His children aren't scarred by what could have been a heritage of trauma. Instead, like the Levites, he has been a missionary of God's blessing. The Lord's powerful grace over his life now blesses his family's future and erased what the enemy sought to steal from generations. When I consider his story, I think of Joshua's challenge to Israel in Joshua 24:15. If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. There's no need to despair over your family or your own brokenness. According to God's word and to testimonies like this man's, you can be the forerunner to a blessed generation. There are vast numbers of families awaiting the kind of transformation Jesus desires to bring. In his short story, The Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway begins with the brief but compelling mention of a Madrid legend about a father and his son Paco that has since been expanded on. The tale goes that the two clashed all the time with tensions rising by the day. Finally, there was a harsh exchange and the father told the boy he no longer wanted him in their house. The son stormed out, swearing he'd never come back. Once the father calmed down, he was heartbroken. He went out looking for his son but couldn't find him. Days passed, then weeks and months, with no sign of the boy. With every sunset, the father agonized over another lost day with his son, longing to restore him to the family. One day, a neighbor told the father he'd heard a rumor that the boy, Paco, was now living in Madrid. Immediately, the father set out for the city to find him. He searched for days following every possible lead, but every day he came up empty. Finally, he began to believe it was useless. He couldn't bear to go home without making one last-ditch effort to find his boy, however, so he decided to place an ad in Madrid's newspaper. It read simply, Paco, this is your father. All is forgiven. Come home. I love you. A line was added asking the son to meet the father the following morning at the entrance to the newspaper building. If he didn't come, the father would know to give up his search and go home. The next day, the father walked to the newspaper building. When he arrived, there were 800 young men standing at the entrance. All were named Paco, and all had been estranged from their fathers and hoped it was their father calling them to come home. I believe that gracious pursuit is built into every father. Sons need to know their fathers love them and are proud of them. A young man's masculinity is formed primarily by how he thinks his dad perceives him. And the same dynamic exists between fathers and daughters. How he treats and speaks to her conveys something she needs to know about her femininity. This isn't to diminish the role of a mother. Of course, her words and attitude toward her kids are just as vital and central to their development. But for any of this to happen in a child's life, to see their spirit flourish, a parent has to take a stand. And sometimes that stand is one of forgiveness. This legend tells us something profound about every human being. Deep within us is a desire to see our broken family restored by a grace that's beyond us. All it takes is one of us reaching out with Christ's forgiveness, and everything can change. John 11 contains a famous story about a broken family that tried to change their destiny. Scripture doesn't tell us why two sisters, Martha and Mary, were in charge of their brother Lazarus. Something must have happened to their parents. All we know is that the two women did their best to create a family dynamic that would help their brother navigate through life. Then a day came they hadn't expected. 
Lazarus got sick. So sick, in fact, it was clear he was dying. The sisters turned to the only hope they knew, their friend Jesus. How did Christ respond? He delayed going to them. In fact, he waited so long that Lazarus ended up dying before Jesus arrived. The anguished, grieving sisters tried not to cast blame. But when Martha saw Jesus, she couldn't help saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Still, Martha trusted Jesus' ability to transform their tragedy. Even when it seemed beyond hope, she said to him, Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. A few minutes later, her sister Mary came to Jesus expressing the same grief and the same faith. If the story stopped here, I wonder what many of us would think of Jesus. Picture how this story might be discussed on a daytime talk show. Our mom and dad passed away tragically when we were still teenagers. Suddenly, we had to provide for our younger brother. Life was hard and we suffered a lot. Then our brother got sick. It looked like he was going to die, so we sent for our friend who's known as the Great Physician. He works medical miracles for people, but when we called for him, he didn't come. At this point, I hear boos from the studio audience. What an insensitive doctor, they cry. He could have changed everything for this family, but now they're broken beyond repair. Imagine the sad life those sisters have ahead of them. That's exactly the response some people have toward God when they consider their own tragic family history. They wonder, God could have changed everything in my family's story, so what happened to his favor over us? I thought his word promised we would be blessed, not cursed. Instead, we have to live through all this torment and pain. We've worked hard to overcome our tragic past, but we've been saddled with so many struggles we might never overcome them. Why would a loving God allow a situation like ours? When Jesus entered the sister's story, however, a change began. When he first arrived, he was confronted by an entire community in anguish. Many on the scene wondered why this Messiah, who could open the eyes of the blind, couldn't be troubled to heal his sick friend Lazarus. But Jesus had already revealed to his disciples, For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Then to the astonishment of everyone, except maybe the sisters, Jesus prayed for Lazarus to rise from the dead. John 11:43 and 44 says, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. In one powerfully dramatic moment, everything changed. In a single instant, as two sisters expressed their precious faith despite their anguished grief, a family's destiny was transformed forever. Even though he was raised from the dead, the work of Lazarus' healing wasn't quite finished. There's a further lesson for us in this story. Verse 44 tells us that seeing Lazarus wrapped in grave clothes, Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. Sometimes it takes a while to unwrap ourselves from life's effects, which may still carry the stench of death but the Holy Spirit gives us power to walk in newness of life. He is now in charge of our transformation, and He is telling us, This is your divine moment. Everyone who takes a stand in my name, I will honor with the resurrection power of heaven. Your changes may not be instantaneous. Like my father, you may have to wrestle out of the grave clothes of your past. 
Like the friend at our church, you may need time to heal. Or like Lazarus, you may need others' help unwrapping you from what has bound you so long. But God promises the power of heaven behind your holy stand. He says to you, Take your stand. Come out of death and into the life of favor I have planned for you. Your whole family and the generations after you can know your greatest season ever. You've been listening to Chapter 5 of God's Favor, read by Jason Staples. This podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. World Challenge is incredibly thankful for the support we receive from many people across the country who believe in our mission. We're able to continue creating resources like this podcast because of donations from listeners like you. You can make a donation at worldchallenge.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. Next week on God's Favor, the importance of raising our sights to honor God. Until then, we hope you experience the life God wants you to have.